Samuel chapter 3, as we take time this morning to look at the call of God on this young man, Samuel. Now, we don't know how old he is in this story. Josephus, the Jewish historian, says he's about 12 years of age. Certainly, he's somewhere between the age of 5 to 12. He's probably in primary school age. And there's a great contrast in this story now, and you'll see it between the faithfulness of this little boy and the unfaithfulness of Eli and his two sons. And the nation of Israel is in a spiritual crisis. Morally, spiritually, they're in a mess. They have a corrupted priesthood, corrupted spiritual leadership, and everyone's doing what's right in their own eyes. And even Samuel grew up in a home that was divided spiritually, where his own father, Elkanah, was a weak man, a poor type of believer. And yet Samuel, you'll notice in this chapter, is going to continue to walk with God, continue to serve the Lord. Now, verse 7 tells us, up to this point, it says, he did not yet know the Lord. I'm not really sure what that means exactly. It seems to mean that he wasn't yet saved. They hadn't come to fear, to a personal relationship with the Lord. And certainly it means that he didn't know the voice of God, the call of God on his life. Now, Samuel never recognized God's voice when God calls him because he hadn't been taught to hear the voice of God. But you want to notice a couple of things in this chapter. You'll notice that God will come to him, and the manner of the call is very interesting to observe. And then you'll notice, as you go through the chapter, his response to God's call. Well, let's look firstly at the manner of his call. We're told that Samuel was ministering before the Lord. It says in verse 4, the Lord called Samuel. This is a sovereign call. This is not Samuel and God working together and coming up with a plan for his future. No, this is God stepping into his life unannounced, unassisted, unguided. God just steps in and speaks to Samuel as Samuel is just working in the temple. God's going to call him to a particular role, a role that Samuel will not apply for, a role that God decides that he wants Samuel to do. And you'll notice it comes at a very unexpected time, this sovereign call. It comes in the early morning. Now, what had happened was at nighttime, when the people left the tabernacle, the lamps would be put on, the menorah would be lit up. Samuel's role or his job was to stay in the house of God and keep the lamps lit until they would go out in the morning when the people would come in. And he did that faithfully. It was almost like a sleepover 
in the house of the Lord. His job was to stay there and just monitor the lamps so that when people would pass by the tabernacle at night, they would see the lamp burning and know that God is there. But then notice something else. It's not just a sovereign call that came at an unexpected time. Notice it's a personal call. Look at it carefully again. God calls Samuel by name. In fact, we're told, he says in verse 10, Samuel, Samuel. You know, what a thrill it is to know that God knows you. There are people who get very excited if a famous person or a wealthy person mentions their name in the public place or even calls them out in a public place. They say, did you hear? So-and-so knows me. They know my name. They know who I am. But it's far more important that God knows you. It's far more important that he knows your name. And it may be a little thing, a trivial thing to some, but it isn't to me to know that God knows your name. And notice something else about this personal call. God calls the child. Now, what does that tell us? That tells us that God knows your children. He knows every child in this Sunday school. He knows every child in the Bible class. He knows every child in the children's church. He knows every child in your home. And he knows them by name. And he knows all about them. And he knows things that you don't know. He even knows things about them that they don't know. If you're here this morning and you say, well, I'm not very significant. I'm just a child. Or maybe you say, well, I'm not a person who is significant in terms of this world and importance. Well, be cheered up if you're a child of God. The most important person in this universe knows your name. He knows all about you. And another thing to notice about this call, not only was it personal, not only was it sovereign, but notice this as well. It was an unexpected call. Samuel had no idea that night when he went to work in the tabernacle that God would come and talk to him. In fact, Eli didn't have any idea either. He hadn't even contemplated that God would talk to a boy like Samuel. He hadn't prepared Samuel. He had trained Samuel in order just to function as a worker in the tabernacle, but he hadn't trained Samuel to hear the voice of God because he didn't expect God to talk to a boy like Samuel. Here's something interesting by way of application. This story lets us know that God talks to our children. You ever think about that? Let's us know that God not only knows their names and knows everything about them, but God is interested in them, and God can speak to them. Many as a child has come into this place on a Sunday and sat in services in this place on a Sunday and have left and gone home and told their parents, God has spoken to me. 
We've had children in the last few months that have come in here, some from within the church, some from without the church, and have left here and said, I need to get saved. I need to get right with God. God has spoken to them. Young children, primary school age children, God has put his hand upon. And although Samuel may appear to be a very insignificant person, he wasn't insignificant to God. Old Mr. Moody put it this way. He said, you can be too big for God to use, but you can never be too small. It's not right. Never be too small. And you go through the Bible and you discover, you go through church history, that God is able to take the little ones, the insignificant ones, and use them in special ways. He's able to take a little boy and use him to defeat Goliath when nobody else could fight. He's able to take a little girl whose name we're not even told to speak to the mighty Syrian general and say to him, Naaman, if you just get to the man of God in Israel, you'll get right with God. He's able to take a little boy with a few fish and a few loaves and use his life and his generosity to feed thousands. Well, God can do many things through insignificant, through the small people. And if you're a parent here today or a grandparent, don't limit what God can do in your home and through your offspring. Many years ago, we studied the, or many years ago, we studied the life of this couple in the land of Egypt lived a slave home. Probably didn't have two pennies to rub together, as we would say. Probably didn't even have a permanent house to live in. Maybe a tent. In that little home of Amram and Jochebed, they raised three children. The oldest girl, the firstborn became the first prophetess of history, Miriam. The second child, Aaron the boy, became the first high priest of the nation of Israel. And the third child, another's boy, became the greatest prophet of the, in the history of this planet. It's not my words, it's God's words. So there's, there's no one like him. God's greatest servant of the Old Testament. In fact, God used him to write the first five books of the Old Testament, the foundational books. Just a slave home. No doubt Pharaoh went past their home in his chariot and sneered. Maybe they even looked at their children and thought, well, what hope is there growing up in a place like this? But the Bible says Amram and Jochebed when they saw their children, particularly the youngest boy, they knew something. God's hand was upon him. They brought those three children up in the fear of God and what a, what a work God did in their lives and through their lives. So not only do we see the sovereign call of Samuel, the personal call, the unexpected call, but notice it comes to a boy who's faithful. I don't know about you, but if you've 
got little boys in your home. The word that you would associate with a little boy is not fearfulness, sure is not. Troublesome, mischief, mischievous, energetic, but not fearful. Takes almost a nuclear bomb to get my son out of bed in the mornings, never mind functioning to do anything. That's children, isn't it? But not Samuel. Here's Samuel. When all the other children are running around in an undisciplined way in Israel, this little boy, he's in the house of God working in this sacrificial way. He's in the house of God serving. And who's he working with? An old man of nearly a hundred years of age, Eli. And there's not a hint of complaint. There's not a hint of laziness. In fact, when Eli calls him, or he thinks it's Eli calling him, he jumps up and he runs to see what he can do to help. Oh, this is a young boy that has been trained by his mother Hannah to be disciplined. And even when she's no longer around, he's in that place where Eli's in control, an old man, and he's still not undisciplined, and he's not lazy, and he's not careless. He, he's helpful, and he's faithful. And even though Hophni and Phinehas are setting him the very worst example, by their lifestyle and their attitudes, little Samuel is just serving the Lord. And you know, if you serve the Lord in the small things, in the little things. Don't be surprised if God then begins to move you to greater things. You'll see that all over the Bible. Where was King David when God called him to fight Goliath? He was taking care of a few sheep on the mountains of Bethlehem, on the hills of Bethlehem just doing a very insignificant job, one of the lowest jobs. And the Bible says his father called him in and said, David, I want you to go to see your brothers. And he gave David all these instructions. And the Bible says, and David left the sheep with someone else. He made sure the sheep was taken care of before he went off. It just dash off. And then when he went to the battlefield, he did exactly what his father told him. He, he gave the gifts that he was told to give. He, he went to inquire of the news of the battle, the same uh, uh, task that his father had given him. Faithful to the small things. And then God called him to greater things. What was Gideon doing when God called him? He was threshing the wheat, do you remember? What was Ruth doing when God brought Boaz into her life? She was out faithfully gleaning in the field, serving. Serving Naomi. And serving the needs that she had for her own survival. What was Peter, James, and John doing when Jesus called them? They were working. They were earning money. They were being faithful to their task that God had given to them as, as fathers and husbands. 
But not only did Samuel receive this call as a faithful servant of the Lord, but notice this as well. It was a very difficult call. Remember, this is a boy. This would be the call that God gave this boy would be very difficult for a grown man, a mature man to handle. Never mind a boy. And God comes to Samuel and he tells him in undiluted language, in verse 11, in unvarnished language, what God is about to do. And it's a very unpleasant thing. And he says to Samuel, Behold, I will do a thing in Israel. And he says it's going to make everybody's ears tingle. Using the metaphor, it's almost like their ears get red and they hear the news of what God is going to do. And he says in verse 12, and these are very solemn words. He says, I will perform against Eli, all things which I have speak. Notice how he finishes verse 12. He says, when I begin, I will also make an end. He says, when God starts to work in judgment, when God starts to act in anger, he'll finish it. You know, we're living in a world right now where the judgment of God is hanging, just like that. The axe is there. The sword of Damasus is hanging over this world. And the Bible tells us, in the book of Revelation in particular, what God is going to unleash on this world. And you can be sure, when God starts, he'll finish. And nobody no government, no individual, no groups of individuals, no armies, no scientists, no economists will be able to stop it once he unleashes his anger in the Great Tribulation period and then brings it all together for the return of Jesus Christ. Samuel's told here, Eli's going to die and his two sons are going to die. And they're going to be cut off. And all their descendants are going to be cut off. And everybody in this nation is going to hear about it. It's a terrible judgment. And this is the message that Samuel is going to have to preach. His very first sermon. You think that Samuel would have thought to himself, well, maybe, Lord, could you give me something a bit easier? Maybe Psalm 23, something like that. The Lord is my shepherd. Or maybe Jesus loves me. But the message you give me, and I'm just a boy, that I have to go to the high priest, a man 80 years older than me, maybe 90 years older than me, and I have to go there and tell him, that you're going to destroy him and his sons and all his descendants. Well, that's a difficult call, isn't it? That's a difficult message for this boy to have to deliver. And it's a very personal message to Eli, and it's going to be a very painful message. 
Because whatever else we think about Eli, he clearly loved his sons, didn't he? His boys. But then notice not just the manner of this call, but secondly and finally the response to this call. We're told that Samuel was a young boy who had humility and attentiveness. We've already seen that. And when God called him, Samuel said in verse 10, Speak. Notice how he speaks to the Lord. Speak for thy servant here. Oh, Samuel knew his place. He knew that his place was not to argue with God. His place was not to debate with God or discuss with God. His job was not to put God's words into his own words, to dilute it in any way, to change it in any way, to soften it in any way. No, Samuel knew, and this is what made him such a great man in his generation, that when God speaks, you hear and you obey. And you're going to see this right through Samuel's life because he learns to be obedient and humble and attentive to God's word from young. He'll continue in this trajectory right throughout all the years that he's a prophet of God in Israel. He's humble. He's attentive. And you know, Eli is a complex figure. Because he gives Samuel good advice in many, many ways here in this chapter. Because when Eli works out that this is God calling to him, he says in verse 9, Samuel, he says, Go lie down, and it shall be if he call thee. Eli's not presumptuous. If he calls you again, that thou shalt say, Speak, Lord. You're the Lord. By servant hears. Now, isn't it amazing that Eli understood the call of God? Eli could advise how to respond to the call of God, but Eli wouldn't do it himself. And because Eli wouldn't speak and deal with his sons, God has to do it. There's a tragedy here that Eli knew so much about God and the workings of God, and yet he refuses to respond. And the next morning, I have to admire the humility of Samuel. He didn't dash into Eli and say, Oh, yes, God talked to me last night. I had a special revelation. I had a special meeting, and here's what I want to tell you. Many as the one today would just put their own website up. The boy that God spoke to. And do all these tours. Become a tourist attraction. But not Samuel. The next morning, what does he do? He just gets up. Gets on with his work. Humble. Faithful. And the Bible tells us he was afraid to even 
reveal this to Eli. He was thinking, how am I going to reveal this to the son? He cared for Eli. He was respectful of Eli, and he knew that this would really hurt this old man. He was very wise and a very prudent young boy. But Eli said to him, you, you tell me. And this is what amuses me. I was reading this earlier. He says in verse 17, What is the thing that the Lord has said unto thee? Now, why ask if you don't want to know? Why ask if you don't want to obey? But this is Eli. Listen, Eli's like a lot of people. Is there a message from God for me? Yes, there is. It's in this book. Here, here's, here's the message. This is how you're to live your life. This is how you bring up your children. This is how to conduct your marriage. This is how to guide your family. Then when they hear it, they say, well, I'm not so keen now. That was very interesting. But I want to live my way. And Eli says, hide it not from me, Samuel. In fact, he takes an oath, God does to me and more also. In other words, he uses the name of God almost like a curse on Samuel. If you don't say the truth, Samuel, God curse you. For oh, this is strong words. This is a, strong, a tough moment for Samuel. How are you going to react here, Samuel? Will you dilute it? Will you just tell him part of it? Or will you say, well, I'm special. God chose me, not you, Eli. I'll say what I want to say. But not Samuel. Now, Eli's already been spoken to by God. If you remember in the previous chapter, God sent a prophet, a man of God, to him. What Samuel's about to tell him is not really anything different from what he heard before. Eli is aware of what his sons have been doing. In fact, he brings it up to his sons in the previous chapter, if you remember. So God has spoken already to Eli, personally, through a prophet. Eli has been made aware of what his sons have done from witnesses. And then when he confronts his two sons about it, they more or less laugh at him. So Elis had plenty of opportunity to deal with this problem. And he doesn't deal with it. And now God says, enough is enough, Eli. That's what his message is. We've come to the end of the road. Time is up. And what does Eli do? And this almost would make you quiver. Because we're told after Samuel tells him what the Lord had done. Verse 18, and Eli said, it is the Lord. He doesn't, he doesn't doubt that this is true. He doesn't doubt that this is Jehovah. This is the one true God talking to him. He said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seemeth him good. What a poor response. What a weak response. When God has come to Eli for the very last time, because you'll notice in the next chapter, this is Eli's last chance and the last chance for his two sons. 
his response is, well, whatever will be, will be. Que sera, sera. Not my problem. Even when God says, it's up, it's over, and send him a boy in this most supernatural, amazing revelation, Eli's answer is, oh well, so be it. I don't want to deal with it. But notice something else about the manner of the call or the response to the call is the faithfulness of Samuel. Look at verse 18 very carefully. And the Bible's very careful to make this so clear. It says, And Samuel told him every wit, every little detail, every word that God had revealed to Samuel. Even though it was painful, even though it was difficult, even though this was a very challenging message for a boy to give to a father whose heart is about to be broken, Samuel tells him. And the Bible says, and he hid nothing from him. Samuel is not just humble. He's not just faithful. He's not just attentive. But when God gives him this very unpleasant message, his first great test is, are you going to give it undiluted, without adding or taking away to it? Are you going to be honest with Eli? And he passes the test with flying colors, doesn't he? This boy, he doesn't keep a syllable away that God has revealed. He just says, Eli, this is the word of God. And you know, if Samuel was not a man like that, or a boy like that, that later on, when Saul came on the scene and Samuel had to confront Saul, Samuel would have no integrity to confront a sinner like Saul. When Samuel would have to tell Saul that God was coming after him for his sin, he would have no character because he had failed the test as a boy. Because Samuel passes this test, not just Saul, but all of Israel are now going to trust this young boy, that he's a man of God who's in touch with God and who's not ashamed to declare the word of God. Only a boy. But everybody knows. This is a boy of integrity. This is a, this is a boy. I was going to call him a man of God because he was still a boy, but you know what I'm saying. And look what happens. It says in verse 20, And all Israel, from Dan even to Beersheba. Now, that's just a colloquial expression, from Dan to Beersheba. Dan was one of the most northern villages, parts of Israel. Beersheba is one of the most southern parts of the land of Israel. So it's a way of saying everybody in the nation, from Dan at the top to Beersheba in the bottom, everybody heard about this little boy who works in the tabernacle and God talks through him. And it says in the verse preceding it, he did let none of his words fall to the ground. He, he, he's someone who holds God's words 
as a precious thing. Doesn't play games. And what a contrast now between Samuel and Eli and Samuel and Hophni and Phinehas. The whole of the nation knows. Hophni, Phinehas, godless, sons of the devil. Eli, weak, corrupted, done. But there's hope because there's a boy there who's God's hands upon, who knows God. And God's word is speaking through. And if you've got a problem, if you've got a failure in your life, you can go to him and he'll tell you the truth. He'll pray for you. He'll warn you. He'll be honest with you. And now for the first time in the nation, they can look to the future with a element of hope. Not only is Samuel faithful, but notice this as well in closing. He's consistent. He's consistent. He didn't just start well that day, that night in the tabernacle. And that morning after he woke up, he continued well. And as he continued well, God began to enlarge his sphere of influence and labor. And not only that, God began to talk to him more. Notice in verse 21, the last verse. And don't miss the connection between what's happening. As Samuel is faithful to the first message, God blesses. As Samuel then grows, verse 19, and God's with him because of his faithfulness. As God's with him, then Samuel holds God's word in highest esteem. Let none of his words fall to the ground. And as he does that, God begins to use him outside the tabernacle. Everybody begins to realize this young boy is a man of God, a man to be trusted. And as he continues along that trajectory, notice what it says in verse 21, and the Lord appeared again another time. And what happens the next time? And the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh, by the word of the Lord. God keeps talking and talking to this young man and using this young man. You know, in your light we receive light, the Bible says. As you keep walking with God and serving God, God reveals more of himself to you, more of his will to you, more of his word to you. Now, you can reverse this. The converse is equally true. And this is where a lot of Christians run into problems. And they say, Pastor, I've been reading the Word of God and it just seems like a dead book to me. I pray and it's as if the heavens are made of brass. Uh, I get nothing from God. I feel nothing. There's no connection between Him and me. Well, maybe this little pattern here in this chapter explains why. Because you haven't done what he told you to do at the beginning. And then don't expect the subsequent blessing to continue. And you need to go back to where you left God and left God's will and left God's word and repent and be like little Samuel. 
Just do what he asks you to do. Just be fearful where he has put you to be. Why did God give this message to this little boy, Samuel? Answer is very simple. Because God knew he would be fearful. God knew he could be trusted. God knew this boy, only a boy, could be the man, would be the man, that this nation needed. You know, this was Samuel's call. But it also was another call. And with this, I'm through. It was the final call for Eli and for Hophni and for Phineas. And you know, maybe this week is your final call. Maybe this church service is your last call. Maybe God's run out of patience with you. Maybe he's been talking to you about your sin, about your life. And you just keep shaking it off. We people have come here week by week and they sit under testimonies and preaching of the gospel. Even Christians who are backslidden sitting under the voice of God saying, come home, come back like the prodigal. Give up your sin. And frankly speaking, sometimes I wonder how they go out of these meetings. Unsaved. Moved. Gripped. Some of them, even when they come to the door of the church, they won't shake me by the hand. We have people come here, they, conviction is on them, you can see, and they won't even go out through the door, they'll go out another door. Oh, talk. Yet they go. Yet they go. Maybe. This week will be their final week. Their final opportunity. Maybe it's yours. You say, but I'm young. So is half nine fitness. They're called young men in the Bible. And although they didn't care, they're both of them about to drop into hell. Next week when we come to the next chapter, you'll discover it was their final chance. And they didn't even know it. And it was Eli's final chance. And he didn't know it. And it may be your final chance to get right with God, to get your life sorted out. What are you going to do? You say, I'm young. Well, so are they. So was Samuel. Maybe you're a Christian and God's been dealing with you about something in your life. You're fighting it. You're saying, no, not, not me. Not now. Doesn't sit. No, you need to be like little Samuel. Speak, Lord, or your servant here. Maybe you're someone who God has spoken to and you wanted to do something and God said no. You become bitter, disappointed with God, angry with God. Adelaide Pollard 
as a young woman, wanted to go to Africa as a missionary. She decided to raise the funds. But as she tried to raise the money every time, she just failed. She became very angry and bitter with God. She went to a prayer meeting, and an old lady began to pray and says, Lord, in a prayer, we just want to do God's will, not my will. Not our will. She went home that night and she opened the book of Jeremiah and she read the story of the potter's house and how that the clay doesn't tell the potter what shape it's going to be molded in, but the potter personally uses his hands to shape the clay and make the pattern and make the mold. Suddenly she realized, God's the potter, and I'm just a clay. And he has the right to shape my life whatever way he wants. And my job is to submit to the hands of the master potter. And she took a pen and a piece of paper and she wrote these words, Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Thou art the potter. I'm just what? The clay. Mold me and shape me after thy will. Is that you? Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning calling us to put our lives in the hands of God. If we're not saved, to come and put our lives for salvation. If we've grown cold, to come back and put our lives in his hand, to be reinvigorated, revived. And if we've got angry and bitter, like Naomi, with the dealings of God and the decisions of God in our lives. We have to come back like Adelaide Podanerts came and says, I, Lord, have thine own way in my life. Have thine own way today. Whatever our need and whatever our situation is this morning, Lord, have your way. May that be the prayer. May we all say like little Samuel, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. For we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.